me feel like I'm not just sitting looking the wrong way. <laughs> That's all right. I have my I have the script in front of me over here too. <laughs> Good. Okay. Welcome to the Popcorn Brain Creative Podcast. And my name is Caroline. And today I'm going to talk to Paulette Erato. And Paulette, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, that's great to hear. I'm very excited too. And uh, you have a sewing blog called Petite Font, and you're also going to have a podcast, the makermuse.co, that we're going to talk a little bit about. And uh, that podcast is not just going to focus on sewing, but also bring some light onto creativity beyond the realm of sewing, which I think is super interesting. Thank you. Yes, I'm super excited. That's so cool. Um, and I love that your angle is that everyone basically everyone is creative everyone is a maker and i love that you write on your blog uh, petite font is for makers this is where ordinary people become extraordinary makers Ex everyone is a maker and i'm here to prove to people who say i'm not creative are merely suffering from limiting beliefs that'll that i'll inspire you to smash through so we are all makers yes even you that <laughs> is so great and I, i think it's the pep talk that a lot of yeah, a lot of new makers uh, need because they, it can be very daunting and you can suddenly become very insecure in this world. So that is just so great and made me so happy to read that. And you also write that you want to inspire other women to become the most creative versions of themselves through DIY fashion and food. And yeah, as a person who, you know, I also have a blog and have a YouTube channel and I, I do courses and I just love to inspire others and to see them unlock the gift of believing that they also can be creative. Mm -hmm. So I find it so amazing that you also feel that way. And I would just love if you could uh, perhaps tell me some of your best moments helping others to become more creative. So um, sewing is where like I kind of found my superpower of creativity, but um, great way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a superpower like and everybody has it. Everybody has it. It's just that everybody hasn't necessarily rediscovered it because the thing is and Pablo Picasso said this and Pablo Picasso did a lot of really terrible things but the one thing he got right was he said that every child is born an artist it's just remembering that you, and I'm going to butcher it <laughs> as we grow up we have to remember that we lose it somewhere along the way and our inner critic becomes really loud so the Maker Muse podcast makermuse.co is where you can find me uh, all over social media is going to focus on how we can rediscover that creativity that is inherent in all of us. So sewing is where I found my superpower and I learned to sew online. I didn't know anyone who sewed, my mother didn't sew, it wasn't a generational thing in my family. So I had to turn to the internet and I learned through YouTube, different channels on YouTube, but it was very lonely. You know, it's it's a solitary endeavor, right? When you yeah. make, when it's just you at your sewing machine, it's not a team sport. So <laughs> <laughs> when I found the Instagram sewing community, this whole brand new world was opened to me. And the wonderful thing about, especially the Instagram sewing community, it's also a lot of Facebook groups and other things, is that beginners are welcomed with open arms. And because everybody remembers that they too were a beginner, there's very little gatekeeping around, you know, I make things better than you. It's that, that doesn't exist. No, everybody's invited to just make their own version of it. Yes. And I don't think that that's true of all artistic realms, of all creative groups. It, that So it was really beautiful that all of these people in, of all ages 
you know, it, it skews younger on Instagram, but it's it's people of all ages and all genders and all makes and walks of life. You know, we're, we're a global community. And some people look like me, who's, you know, one of my favorite hashtags is petite and fat because I'm little, but I'm also white. But, uh, you know, but some people don't. And all of that is encouraged, like all, all, all of those people, it doesn't matter who you are, or what you look like, you are welcomed. Yes, and so space for everybody. That creativity, or so that welcoming atmosphere really helps increase your create your creativity it helps to encourage it and we all celebrate our wins and we love to laugh at our fails and all of that all those tiny little things that we even start to take for granted because <laughs> we're so we're so encouraging in that community that doesn't exist in other communities helps to increase your confidence so when i say sewing is where i found my superpower it's also due to the encouragement from the community members, I do not think that I would feel as confident in myself and as my body has changed and trying to make clothes for this new version of myself if I hadn't been, if I hadn't felt so supportive. So what I try to do in both the blog and the podcast is to, because they're two different realms for me, like those two don't really, uh, crossover as much because one's very much sewing and, and food focused and the other one is, is broader. But what I have tried to do is help people to connect in that way, to connect to their inner superpower or creative power, creative confidence by creating an environment where you are supported, where we celebrate the wins, we laugh at our fails together because you don't learn without failing. You don't get better without confidence. And the way that we can breed confidence, the way that we can rewire our brain and, and, and get rid of these old patterns that may have made us scared to try new things or kept us from, from indulging in these creative outlets is, um, is, <laughs> is so, so confidence breeds this, this creativity and creativity breeds confidence that kind of go hand in hand. And the way we can rewire our brain is by constantly coming back to, I can do this. I can do this. And slowly but surely those barriers you've put up in your brain where you, you stop believing that you can't do it because you keep proving to yourself that you can. And so slowly but surely that inner artist starts to emerge. And it doesn't have to be just in the textile arts. It doesn't have to be in the visual arts. It can be singing, ceramics, dancing, all these photography, food, you know, everyone has creativity in their own little way. I started a new project around origami, the art of origami. And nice. so I'm, I'm, I'm learning a whole new art form that I've been fascinated with since I was a child, but it was till I was 43 that I finally decided to learn it, right? And getting there from when I was just a child, so let's say I was like six years old when I first learned what origami was, when I first learned where Japan was, and like all these other places around the world that in my little mind growing up in Southern California, we're just so far away. It, it took getting to a point where, okay, I feel confident in my creativity. Let's go explore all these other things I wanted to learn as a child and just didn't let myself do because of whatever I picked up, whatever, you know, admonitions or discouragement or lack of support, everyone 
kind of has. Because there's a point where your creativity as a child maybe gets messy, right? Like maybe it's writing on the wall, maybe it's messing with the makeup, and you get, um, you start hearing negative negativity towards your art. And that's very easy to, um, What's the word? So to, to let it, to let to, to take it in and let it become like something that then defines you. Right. There's a word for that. Why can't I think? Of, it? <laughs> of course, when I'm on the spot, these things. It's very easy to absorb that, especially yeah. when we're children, right? We just absorb everything all around. And we might also do it like when we're so young that we don't even realize. It, we might we only, don't even realize. Yeah, it. yeah. and we don't you have know, any like, memories of it now, but it's still it's still in there. It becomes part of your psyche. It actually becomes part of your inner monologue that inner critic that everyone has, everyone has it, can really start to tear you apart the older you get, the more layers of negativity uh, lie on top of it. Mm -hmm. So this is how people forget that they're artists. When they're young, they start to learn to be discouraged away from it. And it could have, and you know, our parents are not necessarily bad people for doing that. They also yell at you for, you know, touching knives or trying to touch a hot stove. And that's how you learn not to do that. And that's out of safety. So, you know, we can't, we, we can't really like blame people for trying to protect us, <laughs> no. but at the same time, discouraging growth, even if our parents or the people around us didn't recognize it is, is, a, is stunts us as individuals. And it's happened to all of us. It's, it's happened to most people. You know, most of us got yelled at for coloring outside the lines or coloring on the walls or whatever. And we started to learn that maybe we couldn't do that anymore. We couldn't pick up crayons anymore and pick up markers anymore or whatever it was. And then that kind of diverts us onto a different path. And some people do well. But I think that if we were all to look inside of ourselves and, and, and really come to grips with, is there something artistic I want to do in this life? Even if it sounds completely bizarre, even if it sounds completely immature, what would happen if you actually allowed yourself to explore that? instead of telling yourself, no, I can't. No, I can't. Yes, you can. And I think that part of it comes with just giving yourself permission. Yes, like it's that's very, very true, Paulette. And also giving yourself permission to then not be perfect and not be the best. Because I think when kids are creative and children just explore different types of art and just do it, and they, you can see that they enjoy it so much. And then there comes a time when you when when they might discover that oh I'm not as good at this as I thought I was or I actually don't have any talent and then suddenly they, they, it's not fun anymore in the same way or they get scared and then like as an adult you also want to take on a new hobby and you want to be instantly good at it but oh. but sometimes it's you know you just want you should you should actually just do something and allow yourself to be really bad but enjoy it and enjoy the okay. process yeah. This is one of my favorite things to talk about, seriously, right. Caroline, because you cannot be good at something without first being bad at it. Exactly. You get to be bad at things and then you can get good, but you don't start off as good. And this is so frustrating to adults, right? Because we think because we have all this experience in life and we know how to do X and X is related to Y. So why aren't I good at Y? But the thing is that you know, let's take cooking and baking, for example. Those two things are very closely related, right? They mm -hmm. both happen in the kitchen, but baking requires a certain precision and a <laughs> yeah. certain patience that cooking does not. 
You can throw things together into a, a pan with some oil and come out with this delicious meal, but you cannot just throw things randomly into a, a, a cake tin and then stick it in the oven at whatever temperature and expect that that's going to come out perfectly, uh, right? Exactly. So, and people know, most people know I can either cook or I can bake or, I mean, some people are gifted in both. I'm not. And I love cooking. I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm an excellent chef for being <laughs> a home cook. My husband, excellent baker. He's an engineer, huh? You think uh -huh. those two things yeah. go hand in hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a little bit more precise than his wife. His wife is a little bit like cuckoo. She likes to just explore in the kitchen. Again, it's a creative outlet. But, um, you know, just because I'm good at cooking does not mean I'm good at baking because they're similar, but they're not the same. And if I wanted to get good at baking, I could, but I'd have to start at square one. And yeah, and you'd have to follow the rules completely. Which I don't want to do. So I get no. to make that decision. But if I was started down a new path where it's like, okay, baking is what I'm going to do. I want to excel at baking. You're going to make a lot of bad loaves of bread, bad muffins. <laughs> They're not all going <laughs> to come out because you're starting at square one. And that's good. That's how you learn. You have to fail at a bunch of steps. I actually feel like it's something that I have gotten better as 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 I as I've grown more mature. I remember that feeling from being a a young young teenager and and having my different hobbies and interests and and then being annoyed with myself because I couldn't do them as well as I wanted and then giving up, then not drawing anymore, not singing anymore, not because I couldn't be as good as I wanted. So then it you know, then I didn't want to do it. And then like now I I'm really bad at knitting. Mm -hmm. And I can't follow a, a knitting recipe and I don't know what the things mean. But now I can accept that I'm a bad knitter and I just knit for fun and I knit weird things and there's lots of holes, but but I can still enjoy the process. I don't have to be perfect. And, and you know, that's also something you want to pass on to others like, hey, just enjoy it because it's yarn and it's nice textures and it's colors and you can choose and you have something cozy to sit and do. And then just, so what if that's not what you're going to excel in? Mm -hmm. You can still have fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. And there's there's what people also don't tend to recognize because we all want to be perfect is that there is so much that you can do wrong and still get it right in the end. Like True. you're saying you knit just a bunch of quirky, weird things. Like, let's say we were trying to make a scarf, knit a scarf, right? That's just a bunch of rows back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And whatever happens in the middle happens. But in the end, you still end up with a scarf. And True. It doesn't have to be knit two, purl one perfectly all the way down the rows because sometimes you get to po point to a little hole or where like you have two pearls and three knits and it's like, well, that's when my cat jumped in my lap and I still lost count or whatever. So every one of those little mistakes, so to say, so to speak, is also kind of a memory. True. And, and you can point, it, it's kind of like a record of the journey from no scarf to full scarf. I, I'm lost for words, Paulette, because it's just, yes, it resonates. It's like, yes, truth. It's, um, yeah, you, you're spot on. I, I also enjoy knitting, but I'm also very bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like there are some similarities there. My, yeah, my oldest kid was actually like laughing at me the other day saying that, yes, I wasn't a good baker because you have to follow recipes. And I'm like, no, that's, that's true. But I can also cook things, taste fine. But yeah. So uh, yeah, your point of departure, you know, in what you say is that our inner critic hampers our creativity. So 
yes, I would love to talk more to you uh, about that. So your best and most efficient pieces of advice for crushing that inner critic. So it simply shuts up. Oh, yeah. So again, our inner critic is made up of an amalgamations of all these things that we have heard throughout our lives, right? And it lives in the part of our brain that's very ancient, right? So it's like the lizard brain, let's call it, like the oldest part of our brain that was responsible for the fight or flight response. And what that was when it started, when humans were first living out in the wild, it was a way to signal whether or not we were safe. So if you heard rustling in the grass, that could be a tiger, that could, or whatever, you know, (laughs) it could be a predator that was going to eat you and your family. So you had to decide, were you going to fight the predator or were you going to run for safety? And at the time, that was how humans stayed alive. You know, that was a necessary response mechanism. And in the thousands of years, thousands of millennia since then, we've all evolved But that part of our brain has kind of remained the same in that we still operate from a part from a point of fear. So our lizard brain is still active. You know, we have more than the fight or flight response. There's also freezing and fawning and all of these other things. But it all comes from a place of fear. But it's also trying to protect us. So Mm. what we have to kind of recognize is that your inner critic can be mean. Your inner critic can be really negative. Everyone has that. Everyone. You are not unique in having a mean voice inside your head. That's how you come out of the box because biology has just determined that for us. But you have a choice of whether or not you want to listen to it. So just like our parents may may have screamed at us when we were trying to touch a hot stove because that was danger, they were trying to protect us. So does that inner voice inside your head. The inner critic can get out of control. It can try to wound you before others can. It will try uh-huh. to, you know, like we're really, humans are really good at self-criticism. We're really good at cutting ourselves down in trying to start something new. But that whole exercise, imagine you are a soldier going into war, right? Like medieval times, soldiers with their shields and their swords and going into war and thinking, well, instead of letting my enemy wound me, I'm going to stab myself with my own sword (laughs) so they can't get to me. Like, why would you prepare yourself for battle by by stabbing yourself? So, you know, the inner critic, that's the same thing. Like, why would you give yourself all this negativity before anyone else can? Unless, so here's step two to that, let your inner critic have its fun so that you can react appropriately. You can take your feelings out of it. If your inner critic is going to say, you're too stupid for this, you're not good enough for this, you can say, okay, how do I react to that? How do I get my feelings out of it? Because they're not talking to me. They're Uh trying to protect me. Because I know I'm not too stupid. I know I'm better than I think I can give myself credit for. So the inner critic, you you can divorce yourself from what they're saying. Because your feelings aren't facts. The way you feel, the way your inner critic feels is not factual. It's just how you perceive the world. So if you're putting yourself in a situation where others might criticize you and your inner critic's going to do you the favor of doing it first, maybe it's actually preparing you for how to react to those criticisms so that you recognize that they're not about you. I mean, most people's criticisms are just a reflection of themselves, right? Sure. 
Now, constructive constructive criticism is a completely different ballgame. Yes. That that helps you grow. That's like going to the gym and lifting heavier and heavier weights. That's the constructive criticism. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stuff that keeps us small. It just pulls us down. Yeah. Yeah. So when your inner critic is is really on a roll and really getting all of that crap out there and tell, and making you feel bad, there's no room for creativity in that. Negativity kills creativity. So the one way you can battle negativity is with creativity, is becoming confident in your creativity. And one really, so I have three techniques for this. Um, one is pretending that you have a remote control. And when the inner critic comes on, you think of it as like commercials on TV. You want to fast forward through those, right? Or you want yeah. to change the channel. So if you can envision yourself holding a remote control and turning down the volume or changing the channel, and this takes practice, all of these techniques take practice and they're going to sound and feel kind of weird at the beginning, but they work. And you just have to choose the one that works for you because some people hear their critic in one way and others hear it in another. But so that's one technique, turn the volume down. Yes, I think it's really, really helpful to simply envision that remote control, to feel mm -hmm. it like almost physically in your hand and mm -hmm. like there's a mm -hmm. button you can press. Exactly. It's that tactile um, uh, response, that feedback that really helps anchor the feeling of lowering the volume in your head. So oh. there's there's like a it, it it adds layers of reality to it. Another way to manage your inner critic is to have a cheering squad. So one of my favorite things that I've ever learned is, again, soldiers. I don't know why I keep coming back to this. but um, So Navy SEALs have this training where they have a cheering squad in their head that helps them get through really tense, dangerous situations. The crazy and so, stuff they do. Right. And they don't, they don't get a second chance. They, they have very little room for error. So they cannot they don't have the luxury of an inner critic. They have a cheering squad and a cheering squad is so much stronger and louder than a single inner critic. Mm -hmm. And if Navy SEALs who are in the most dangerous situations can train to do that, you and me in the luxury of our home sitting right here on the couch or wherever, we can do that too. So the cheering squad is super powerful. I love that one. And I like having like a hype, uh, hype music playlist for yeah. this. It kind of looks like a workout playlist because it's like hard thumping, kind of like gets your, your heart rate going and it, it pumps you up. It literally pumps your blood faster. And that's super important. Like if you have an anthem or a song you love that you feel like really empowers you, you should use that. Whenever you're going into a situation where you feel uneasy or even just going to work or these days it's leaving the house, <laughs> you listen to one of your songs and you kind of like jump around, dance to it, you know, whatever, chair dance, and you get your blood flowing, you get your blood pumping, and that starts making you feel stronger and it makes you feel more empowered. So the playlist and the cheering squad are another thing. The third thing is to drown out the sound. So this is good for people who um, are more auditory mm -hmm. in learning and in experiencing the world as opposed to like touchy feely or something. Um, you know, like I'm a touch person, like I learned by doing this is why sewing and knitting and those things like I enjoy them. Um, but for people who are more auditory, if you can imagine water 
like literally drowning this this voice is what we're wow. going to do. Yeah. Imagine water, like rain. I know a lot of the country is experiencing <laughs> <laughs> snow right now. Well, I'm in the U.S. You're in Europe, right? So you're probably experiencing snow as well. Um, ex- imagine the ocean or a big lake or just flushing the toilet. This is a sound we're all familiar with, right? Or turning on the faucet. If you can focus on the sound of water just like swishing everything away your inner voice can go with it too good exercise yeah so those are my three like go-to techniques and sometimes one works better than the other and they all take practice because they all feel kind of weird at the beginning like it feels weird to think of water (laughs) when like you're like being negative in your head you're like you literally have to stop yourself and consciously like think water or think remote or, you know, get that playlist yeah, see, going. See the cheer squad inside your head. Mm-hmm. But it's also one of the things that, yeah, it, it takes some practice and you need to, of course, I don't know, maybe a routine is, a, is, is the wrong word, but, but you need to do it several times. It's not enough to try once and then say, oh, that didn't work. And I didn't, you know, I didn't lose my inner critic that, that it's really something you have to, to keep at doing and then, I assume that then suddenly, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to turn on the faucet or put on that music. And it's almost like then you will have started a new habit. Oh, yeah, this is what I do. And then my inner critic disappears. I mean, um, I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety and I, I have I had this really good therapist who who also gave me this very kind of good visual image in my head. She was talking about like that I should see my biggest fear as as this monster or whatever sitting in a, in a, in a chair like, mm-hmm. you know. Then it sits in the chair and then it just talks to me about all the stuff I'm afraid of. And then instead of all the how I would react um, normally, you know, I simply just face that monster in the chair and just, you know, hey, I acknowledge you. I see you're there, but you're not going to hurt me. You know, it's annoying. You're there. Fine. I know you're not going to go away, but, you know, you're just sitting over there minding your own business. I'm going to go over here and do something else. And it, it was like really a process of practicing that in my head. And now I can, well, well, most times if I get like an anxious feeling, I can literally, literally just, you know, turn my head in my head or, you know, also physically and like, oh yeah, it's there. I see you. Bye. And I can already be on because it's the acknowledgement. Yes, whatever you're there. And then on to something else. And it's the same thing with the inner critic, I guess, that it's not magically going to disappear, that it will still pop up, pop up no matter how good how talented you are, or you'll try something new and it will be bugging you about something else. But that, that pattern, that routine, those tools to actually just tell it to, to leave you alone or to, yeah, to drown it out, to, to cheer it away. I, I love those uh, exercises. I'm yeah, definitely going to try them. <laughs> please do. Please do. And then let me know if it's working for you. Because the thing is that our inner critic, again, comes built in default when we're born. It's, it's a habit. See, it's a wiring of our brain and we create new habits by adding new pathways in our brain that are better traveled than the old habits. So how do you quit smoking? How do you quit a bad habit? You have to replace it with good habits. And the only way those get stronger is by continuing to do them. This is why they say it takes like 10,000 hours to be good at something or 21 days consecutively to start a new habit because you have to keep doing it. Those numbers are not exact, 10,000 or 21 days or whatever. It's just the act 
of consistently doing it because eventually that becomes your default habit. Yes. And it is hard, but it will eventually change. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, people are able to quit smoking. They really are. And it's, you know, that's a very difficult habit to break. That is almost as hard as talking nicely to yourself all the time. That, I mean, and I'm just pointing to that because I know it's a common bad habit. I know many people <laughs> who smoke and have tried to quit. And, and it takes a lot of tries sometimes. Most people cannot just one day decide they're never going to smoke again and stick to that. It's just like you're in a critic. You cannot just decide one day you're not going to talk to me like that anymore. And it ends. Mm-hmm. It would be great if that were true. And I'm sure that there are outliers out there for whom it is true. But most of the population will have to do these techniques and techniques like them. Those are just three. There's millions of them over and over and over until it becomes the default habit. And and with like the inner critic, how to silence that is uh, th- that that's some very useful advice because yes, th- it's built into us. And and then you know when you've then gotten those good routines, those good new habits of of silencing it, or at least moving on quickly to to not feeling so rubbish and and actually feeling good about yourself. You know, I I, I talked to an, another artist uh, the other week who was who was also battling with uh, anxiety and. And sometimes like uh, being anxious over, is she creative enough? Is she talented mm. enough? And, and she was simply saying that you, she battled it by, by taking the steps, by climbing the mountain, by, you know, doing one step and then getting a rush from actually being able to do that. And, you know, I know that feeling too, the rush from, oh, yeah, I'm doing, I'm succeeding in something, you know, on what level you expect it to be, but still the rush from just making. And then suddenly you can feel, you know, you feel good about yourself. You feel like you've accomplished something and you actually feel like you made something nice. And, mm-hmm. you know, There's maybe the confidence. other, yes, other people are cheering you on. Maybe mm-hmm. not even just your inner cheering squad, but mm-hmm. maybe somebody else as well. And then you suddenly, bang, you get hit with that uh, imposter syndrome, you know, then you just, you get so down on yourself and you think that mm-hmm. it was all a lie that you're a scam that nothing you do is is real and you know i'm i'm really i'm i'm really often suffering from imposter syndrome and and why do you think that we are so bad at believing in the good things when when they actually happen to us or or we make it work like yeah. why is it so well one again it's just we're negatively biased our brain is is wired to be negatively biased the um and, and here's the thing about imposter syndrome. Everyone has it. Everyone you see on TV who you think has their life together, they all have suffered from it and will probably suffer from it in the future too. Like Oprah has imposter syndrome. So like, <laughs> relax, <laughs> relax. It, what happens with imposter syndrome is it shows up when you're finally feeling like, oh my gosh, I got it. That celebration phase of, of like, Oh my gosh, I'm doing it. Look at me. And you're gaining confidence. And then smack, all of a sudden, your inner critic's like, wait, (laughs) really? And you're like, damn it. I was just feeling good. It's like, it's kind of like um, you're climbing the mountain and then you slide back into the valley, right? Yeah. And that's where imposter syndrome and the inner critic come and like jump all over you. Like you're their prize. Um, (laughs) It doesn't have to be that way. It, well, I mean, that's like our default. That's that's how we operate by default, right? Um, but 
part of why, and I have a Facebook group for this, part of why celebrating those wins, like you recognize, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. Part of what that does is, is create evidence. It creates proof for your brain, for that inner critic, that you are actually capable of this. You, you have accomplished this. I mean, think of when you first learned to walk, you fell over all the time. Like you don't remember this, but humans, when they learn to walk, like fall down all the time, all the time. <laughs> and these days, most human beings with two legs can run, they can jump, they can ski, they can dance. And that's all advanced running. I mean, advanced walking. Yeah. But we didn't start off that way. However, when we were learning to walk, uh, the way that that stuck was a lot of encouragement, a lot of clapping when you took that first step. You have kids, you know, it wasn't that long ago when you were cheering them on because they took their first step, right? So you need that too. And this is why at the beginning we were talking about the sewing community is that. The sewing community is that. So for anybody listening, if you don't sew and you want to get into sewing, the Instagram sewing community is so great for celebrating your wins. But so in my Facebook group, every Friday, we talk about wins. I start a thread. It's like, what are you celebrating this week? Big or small? It could be that you brushed your teeth all seven days. Cool. It doesn't matter what it is specifically, but you do need to celebrate your wins because, again, you're creating that proof for your brain that you are capable and that you can confidently do these things. So when imposter syndrome shows up, you're like, "Uh uh-uh-uh. I have all this evidence. And <laughs> I'm then, just going to take out my notepad and write, uh, read out exactly. all the evidence yes, to you. Yes, yeah. you should absolutely do that. You know what? The actual act of writing or just mm-hmm. typing it if you're a digital person helps to cement it in your brain. But not only that, you're celebrating yourself, but then you have a community of people who are also celebrating with you, that outside cheering squad. So it helps strengthen all that evidence. It helps strengthen all those neural pathways you're creating that help to become the default reaction. It's all very important. You cannot just like discount that. It is so important to celebrate your wins and share them. Such good advice because yeah, everybody has imposter syndrome and you know, then you you get that lack of confidence and you need something and yes, then you have the proof, then you have the evidence that works. And of course, if you have the crowd as well. And and yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm so impressed with, with the sewing community and yeah, everybody should really have that that space. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the same for other crafts in the same way, but it definitely the sewing community can definitely do something quite special in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I we talked a little bit about the inner critic, but and of course uh we've also talked about yes, this warm sewing community and the the internal hype uh, cheer squad and the also the outside cheer squad. When there actually are proper critics, and now I'm not just talking about the the ones with constru- constructive criticism that help you grow, but the actual critics, uh, whether you know uh, they are just being a little bit uh, critical or they're being actual trolls, um, mm-hmm. ha- has it happened to you? And what would you suggest to move on from it? What what's what's your best advice? Oh yeah, I've been called all kinds of things on the internet, but. I mean, the truth of the matter is it's so easy to let that hurt us. It is because again, (laughs) we're negatively biased. So the moment we see one little bit of proof that we suck at something, (laughs) despite the 30,000 ton mountain of evidence telling us otherwise, it's so easy to believe that one thing, right? It is. And hi, it happens to everyone. Again, you know, don't feel like you're the only one it's happening to. But if you do have that mountain of evidence, it's much easier. So start building that. 
start building that. Again, I mentioned this before, criticism, especially when it's not constructive, is usually a reflection of the person saying it. Because see, they have their own inner trolls in their head. And that troll is telling them all kinds of nasty crap too. And they're letting it out. So the inner critic wants to be heard. One of the things that's a good exercise for this is journaling every day. If you journal, you know, like before you start your day, your inner critic has an outlet to get all of its crappy thoughts out. It's like going to the bathroom every morning or brushing your teeth. You're getting all the gunk out of your body so that there's room for the good stuff. So, and journaling doesn't have to be the written word. I mean, you can speak it out. You can say all your nasty thoughts into uh, a recorder and then delete it. So you don't sing it out under the shower or something. Sing it out, you know, what, however it needs to get out, let yep. it out. And so when you're facing trolls or negative comments from people in your life or online or wherever, they haven't let it out of their body yet. And look, this is not, this is a very simple thing, but it's not easy. It takes practice to recognize when someone's talking about themselves, even if they don't realize it. And, and it hurts, you know, it takes practice, but that's the, the bottom line is that's the truth. Most people are giving criticism because they're just reflecting on what's inside of them. Uh, that's such an important thing to remember next time. I hope that everybody who's listening really take that in. Yeah, don't get upset because it's probably really not about you. It's just about their fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are so wise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank really, you. <laughs> I really enjoy this talk. It's so good. Oh, so did I. Thank you. Yeah. But um the, we, we talked a little bit about how great this online sewing community is. And I was just wondering, is there any special place you go to for inspiration? You know, um, when you, yeah, when you want something new or a place that always makes you feel good or, yeah, just like with new exciting content to keep you inspired? Oh, yeah. So here's the thing. Um, inspiration can come from anywhere you choose, right? Like we have five major senses, taste, touch, smell, all those things. Usually we consume with our eyes. We consume inspiration with our eyes, right? We're scrolling through Instagram. We're watching TV. There has been many an occasion where we're watching television, my husband and I. I take my phone out. I'm like, can you please pause it? Because I need a picture of that person's outfit. Because one day I might recreate it. But also sense memory, like a smell or a song, those are super strong. They're super strong. So if you can anchor a memory into um, a, a smell or into a sound or into a flavor, it's that much stronger. So, you know, my my desire to sew or to cook, <laughs> especially cook, um, ebbs and wanes. It's never, or ebbs and flows. It's never 100%, you know, for very long. It comes and it goes. And I'm kind of in a cycle of that right now. I don't really feel like sewing But that means that I have extra time to do the other things Mm -hmm. to consume different types of inspiration. And you also have to be very careful what you consume. Like if you consume too much negativity, whether you're reading it online or hearing it or feeling it, that is a bad diet. That's like that. That's a bad diet. You don't want to subsist only on negative 
thoughts, negative ideas, negative words coming at you. So where can you find the positive ones? Like right now, I'm not sewing so much, but I'm really enjoying what all of my online friends are making. Like, this is fun. We're going into spring here in the Northern Hemisphere, and soon people are going to start wearing really colorful things. And I love color. I love color. So I just enjoy, I love consuming color with my eyes. And so, you know, there's inspiration floating everywhere. I'm just so happy to hear that you're also so generous that you can truly enjoy what other people are making because sometimes how do you get better if not seeing how other people (laughs) make things and then trying to do the same thing like that's how you get better trying to make new and more you know what the problem is so new and more advanced things I took an entire month to make a jean jacket last um year at the end of last year. It took like the entire month of November, I want to say, most of December, I don't remember. And at first it didn't fit. I had to make a lot of fit adjustments and I detailed the entire thing on Instagram stories. It's 90 stories long. That's how long it took. Um, But the end result is beautiful. I have this hot pink jacket. I love it. Um, But it took a lot out of me. It Uh it, like it sucked all of the creativity, but also it was very technical. So that's not usually how I sew. (laughs) You know, a jean jacket's multiple panels put together and all these things, lots of seams. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'm burnt out a little bit. And I recognize that. So I'm not going to force it now. And again, what makes the sewing community so great is everyone's generous with their, with what they share of what they're making, their processes, the things that they didn't do so well. There's less of like, this is my shiny life and (laughs) look at where I screwed up, Um, (laughs) which is, is so wonderful. And I wish that more of our lives were really like that. Um, So I think that's another reason the sewing community is so strong we're not here to like pretend that we're all perfect because we're not. Everybody uses a seam ripper. I think that's super important because there is a lot of talk about, yeah, of course, social media now and, and the content creation, you know, also just that it's called that, that it's not about just making stuff or posting or whatever, but, but it's actually, oh, it's about making content. Whenever (laughs) you do something, you have to think about, okay, how can I, how can I frame this? How can I post this? And, Mm -hmm. and for a lot of people, it's also about, about performing, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and it yeah becomes a performance, it becomes something, a, a play you put on, but, but then you have the, the, the authentic people, the ones who are actually just, just delivering you know, a part of their real life. And that's what's so rewarding. And that's, that's who you want to follow because, yeah, the performances, they're, they're pretty much all the same anyway. So you, you need something real. And, yeah. and you're probably right. That's what you get in the sewing community because there are a bit of, of trial and error there. Yeah, we show it warts and all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, to something completely different because I, yeah, it's, it's just so fun with, with the world, right? Mm-hmm. You live in the greater Los Angeles area with your husband mm-hmm. uh, and one plant. Oh. And I just thought that that sounded so fun. So <laughs> I need to update that name? because okay. I have four plants now. Oh, wow. I was going to ask what's the plant's name. And then it's like, you have four plants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Only two of them have names. The other ones are twin snake plants. We have one in each of our offices because they're supposed to help filter the air. Oh, yeah. We both work from home. So so here here is an actual example of how um, the stories we tell ourselves, the things that our inner critic makes us believe might not be true. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So my entire life, I thought I was bad at plants. Like my husband and I both suck at plants. We've managed to kill cacti, bamboo, all of those low maintenance plants have died on us. But my father, who has a wonderful green thumb that I did not think I inherited, gave me this wild plant. It's, um, it's Mexican mint. It's called Cuban oregano or um, oregano brujo for anybody who speaks Spanish. That means which is oregano. Um, it's, it's actually in the mint family. It's not true oregano, but it smells like oregano and it grows like crazy. I water it once a week and don't pay any attention to it. And it keeps being this beautiful, fragrant, fragrant plant. And so it lives outside. It gets watered once a week and it keeps growing. And we've had it for, I think, the entire time we've been married, maybe a little longer. So going on like six or seven years. And then I got some basil recently. You know, you buy it at like Trader Joe's. It's $4. No biggie. It's going to die. It's winter, right? Now, Los Angeles has very temperate days. You know, it it it, it does get cold overnight, but it's, you know, pretty constantly consistent. Not too, too hot in the winter, not too, too cold. Well, my basil has a very limited range in, in which she is happy. I'm going to talk in freedom units, but it's like 60 degrees to 70 degrees, which I think is like 15 to 20 for you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. So around that range, it's very limited and we get full sun in the afternoons on the West side of our, of our unit. So I was putting her out there. She was getting lots of sun. And then after a while she started getting cranky and shriveling up and I'm doing all this research (laughs) okay, maybe she needed more water. So I started watering her more frequently because the tag said once a week. No, it's more like three times a week. And I revived her. Well done. And then she started getting cranky on me again. And obviously it's a she because she's high maintenance, just like me. And so she (laughs) shriveled up again and she started doing this to me last night. So I watered her and she's beautiful again today. So we've started calling her the the marvelous Mrs. Basil, as in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So she's Mrs. Basil. And then we've got Sparegano, who's... (laughs) <laughs> our low maintenance plant. And then we've got our two snake plants, which filter the air for us. And so I finally, since I, you know, I started getting more confident as I started bringing this high maintenance basil back from the dead. I'm sure she was never dead, but you know, it felt like that. It felt like I revived this plant. I can do plants now. You have so a this, new story to tell about yourself. I do. And a new superpower. I'm the plant <laughs> reviver. Um, so yeah. So all this confidence that came from winning the war against high maintenance plants. I'm like, but so now I have four plants. It all started with one and with a story that I'm not good at this until I could prove to myself I was. Yeah. Now I'm good at plants. Check that out. If I was closer to you, I would come over and give you a plant because you deserve another one. <laughs> I do. I'm yeah. looking for a big bushy plant I can put in the living room and, and ignore. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I just love to hear about this kind of everyday stuff about my guests. Um, thank you for sharing that. You're and, uh, yeah, I think I, I guess the world is just so small since, you know, we can be so far apart, but still sit here and have such a nice chat and, you know, and also still so crazily big because to me, uh, the greater LA area is just, you know, it's crazily exotic. It's, it's it's something in movies. It's something you know. Yeah. I've read novels about, and I'm sitting here in like uh, rural northern Denmark. And yes, oh, it's fun. just yeah. But but so yeah, I just kind of wanted you know if you can paint like a just a short little picture of yeah what what life is like there and how creative your day to day is and you know how you <laughs> manage to make extra space for it in in the life that you're living. Sure. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know how well I can paint a, a picture of Los Angeles. Um, I grew up here. I was born here. So for me, this is all I know. I did go to school um, in another state when I was you know, in college. And so what I, I learned 
that there's a definite culture difference between where I grew up and cities on the East Coast. Um, but yes, it's big. There are certain parts that are glamorous. Um, there are certain parts that are just normal. Like most of the city is just normal. Most of the yeah. 8 million people who live here are just normal people who don't see celebrities. And if you do see them, you kind of don't know where you know them from. No. Okay. <laughs> 8 million people in a city. That's also crazy. We have like 5 million in a country. <laughs> you probably don't have the same housing problems that we have, <laughs> but we have really nice weather and that's what brings people here. So yeah. I can't complain. I am really nicely situated that way. And I know, I know what it's like to have to live through snow and things like that. And that's why I choose not to. So yep. I went yep. to school in the North. Clever. <laughs> I came back home to the South. It, I have made it a priority to be able to live that life. Right. So I've, 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 I've done the work to make sure to ensure Yes. Yeah, right. And this is also where my family is. So, it's, you know, it's kind of easier. My husband is also from a different area where it snows every winter and we've gone to visit <laughs> that. And I was like, but he prefers warmer climates as well. Um, and we're actually considering a move to Puerto Rico at this time next year. So it'll be hot all the time, which is not something Exciting. I'm used to. Exciting. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that, Paulette. That was <laughs> that's awesome to hear so many interesting facts and just Yes, as I said it again, your wisdom is immense. It's really great to chat and hear all your good points. Thank so you. it's been wonderful to have you here. And uh, I would like you to tell us where the listeners can follow and catch up with you and your projects and where they can see more, read more and hear more. Sure. So the Maker Muse podcast will be coming soon. And that's the working title. So we don't know if that's the actual title. It's a but, good title. But yeah. <laughs> thank you. You can find me on my new site that's currently in the process of being built, themakermuse.co, not .com, it's .co. And you can find me online as themakermuse.co on Instagram. I have a Facebook group that everyone is welcome to join called the Maker Mindset Happy Hour, where we celebrate our wins and talk about keeping that mental monster out of out of our heads and dealing with imposter syndrome and scarcity mindset, and all those things that impact your creativity. And if you like sewing and <laughs> drinking and making your own food, you can also find me at thepetitefont.com. So that. good to have many channels. And that <laughs> Facebook group really, really sounds like a good a good Friday, a good Friday treat for yourself. Yes. So just as a fun little way to end this, I would love to know what you're about to do right now, because I'm sitting here and it's late evening and you're in the middle, like the beginning <laughs> of the day. So what's the next creative thing on your list, like on today? Today I am going to, well, right now it's lunchtime. So I'm going to go have myself a poke bowl for lunch. Lovely. It's a Hawaiian type of uh, sushi fish on top of rice and nice little bowl with some veggies in it. And then this afternoon, I have a meeting, more meetings about things that impact our creativity. So, you know, I spend a lot of time working towards helping other people, you know, amass their creative power. And I love that. And that's, yeah. that's another creative outlet for me. So well, that's, and that's you are incredibly good at it. So Thank just you. happy that that you're sharing your wisdom. Thank and you. thanks for sharing it with us. And uh, yeah, to all your listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I'm sure you did because it was awesome. So until next time, bye bye. 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 I'm just going to keep it running. Is it okay? I just grabbed my phone because sure, sure. I left it. And then I'm just going to take a, a, a photo of, of. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Just a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Hello.
looks so looks so boss. Yeah. Like a real podcaster. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that. Oh, that's a good photo. 